Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Securing the Data Center Through the Edge, with special guests Tom Garrison and Camille Moorhart. We have a special episode today where we have fellow podcasters from Intel, Tom Garrison, VP of Client Security, and Camille Moorhart, Director of Security Initiatives and Communications. Tom, Camille, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, hey, thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, guys, for coming. You guys are pod podcast experts as well. I'm glad another podcaster got to come onto my show. Um, they host Cybersecurity Inside um, uh, for Intel. Um, welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation. We have security experts here, finally. Yeah, and we, you know, whenever we come on to another podcaster, it's like the the pre-meeting, the AV check is all about what kind of camera do you use and what's your <laughs> that microphone? Is, <laughs> that is that is a hundred percent true. I'm getting your guys' camera. You got a lot better camera than I do. So, um, but we all we all have the same mic, so we must uh, there must be something about it. It's good stuff. So, hey, let's not talk about podcasting because we could have a lot of fun doing that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, security. You guys both come from the client security world, something I don't really address too much on my show. I'm mostly in the data center, in the enterprise, in the cloud. But we all know, uh, you know, getting to the client, if we can't secure the client, then we can't secure the enterprise. That's exactly right. I mean, there you can't think about security in a myopic way. You have to think about it holistically. So from the cloud and and that whole infrastructure within the cloud environment all the way, you know, out to the edge. And you know, Camille and I have had the pleasure of of uh, hosting our podcast and where we focus a lot on trying to tackle security but to do so in a very approachable way so that people don't need to necessarily be a security expert to, to learn something and uh, hopefully walk away with a deeper understanding of whatever the topic is. And, and obviously we try to have fun along the way as well. Uh, having fun is key to, to making these podcasts interesting, that's for sure. I'm glad you said that you, I'm not gonna use the word dumb it down, but that's what you said without saying it, um, for you know normal people to, to actually secure What's going on? This is this has been a big deal. I know a lot of people have called me about this problem since COVID hit, um, because our attack surface is now in everyone's home. No, well, for sure. I, I, you know, I'll just maybe use a different word. And the, and and what we try to do with any of the topics isn't to 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 dumb it down, as you said, right? The the idea is talk about it in language where you don't have to be an insider to understand it. I so, like that better. And so the, 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 the goal for us is not to sort of brush things under the table because they're too complicated. It's really about saying, hey, these are really complicated topics. Let's have a real conversation and not just talk about jargon or you know, you know, inside, inside speak. But you mentioned uh, specifically around working from home and that's opened up a whole series of new uses and use models. You know, for example, the client before in the old days would ship directly to an IT cage somewhere. 
it would get configured. Um, and then IT would bless you with a brand new laptop at some point. And that doesn't happen anymore, right? Uh, if, if the employee never comes into the work site, now these devices need to show up at somebody's doorstep and you have to be able to provision them, make sure that they're safe, um, they haven't been tampered with. And so there's a lot to, lot to unpack there. And, and Camille and I, like I said, we, we have done several episodes on that front as well as b- more broadly supply chain. And that's been in the news a lot, right? People talking about supply chain and they're worried that they can't get their Christ- Christmas gifts in time and all those kinds of things. But when you think about it from a security standpoint, supply chain, especially when you have less control over devices and how they get deployed, uh, you need to make sure that you understand the state of your device, your PC. And, um, and so there's a lot of focus in the industry about how do, how do I solve that problem? That's, that it's a particularly challenging problem to solve. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. And, and the fact that we did it so quickly, when COVID hit, it was, it was crazy how fast IT kept everything up and going. And onboarding new people during COVID, it's got to be a very complex uh, problem to solve. Yeah, I would, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse. If we had just gone naturally. Uh, it would take two, years. It years. would have taken yeah. years, if not, maybe never, you know. Um, but the fact that we were pushed into, we really had no alternative. Now think of how open and, and, and. Uh, I guess, oh yeah, open is the right word, how open we are to working from home, to being on video, to connecting, you know, you don't have to get on an airplane anymore and fly around and still have a productive meeting. You can still see body language. Is it quite as good as face-to-face? No, but it's pretty darn good. And it's way better than the old-fashioned phone call. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Camille, what about you? What have you seen as far as what COVID has done to security and, and how, how, how that's changed the way we work? Well, there's a couple different things that I was thinking of as you guys were talking. And <clears throat> one of them is I used to work in the Internet of Things group. And, you know, we would, we would wonder then about, well, some of these devices need to get deployed, you know, before we provision them, they're getting attached to the roof of a building or windmill or an underground mine. Um, They don't have constant connectivity. Sometimes that's by design. You know, you're trying to preserve battery life and send little snippets of information. Um, Sometimes it's trying to, in order to try to reduce the amount of potential attack surface area, like if it's a medical device inside your body, you don't really want it to be connected all the time. Um, And And it's been interesting because all of that was kind of, I mean, literally on the edge of what, you know, what we were trying to solve. And then COVID hit and it was suddenly like the center of IT. We used to talk about the crossover between or the intersection of OT and IT and how that was going to play out. And then COVID hit and it was like, nope, this is a central focus of all enterprise IT departments right now, all of a sudden. That was a very quick change. (laughs) It, it, it was, and I know with some of my customers, they were battling with that OTIT bridge and how to do it. And I, you know, when COVID hit, they kind of collapsed that down. And we've seen as a result, um, breaches in security. Yeah, well, 
certainly, certainly that as a lot of people rolled it out and dealt with security later, depending yeah. on kind of the maturity level of the organization. Um, and, and it also seems like this giant shift to all cloud. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering now if there's any, um, I don't want to say backlash, that's not the right word, but is there any, any pendulum coming just a little bit back or any additional oh, consideration? Yeah, we're, we're already seeing it um, because of some of the attacks that we've seen recently um, with ransomware attacks. Some of those were out in the cloud, um, primarily because people didn't understand the shared responsibility of security in the cloud. Um, and now we're seeing organizations think twice about moving uh, their critical data in, into the cloud. They may move some workloads there, but they're keeping the golden data at home. Um, so we're seeing, we're seeing some of that happen just over the last six months. The other thing that's kind of come to my attention recently in some of the conversations Tom and I've had <clears throat> on, on the cybersecurity inside is just the importance of perception as well as actually what you're doing. So you may be asking the right hardware questions about the physical security uh, of the servers if you're going to be moving data there. And you might be asking the right software layers of protection questions. Um, but you also have to now consider what the perception is to your customers of where you're keeping your data and why and who's protecting it and how they're protecting it. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. And uh, frankly, I think a lot of organizations don't, can't answer those questions. A lot of times they don't even know where their data is. So yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah, that's a bigger yeah. problem. <laughs> well, and, but, and, but you what, know what, part, part of what, what, this raises is is when you know when there are questions that you can't answer, it's a great starting point for what work you you still have to accomplish. Because now you realize, oh my gosh, I really do need to know where my data is. And if I don't even know where it is, how do I even know if it's safe? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I totally agree. And you know what? It's been exacerbated by um, video conferencing. I hate to say that. Because I use the platform quite a bit. All my podcasts have been on via Zoom now. Um, but the problem is, is where when people are recording these meetings, and where are those recordings going? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I told to save it on my laptop. Great, it's on your laptop. It's also in the cloud somewhere. Who has access to it? What are the protections? How long is it sticking around? What's the you know all all the there's a lot that is starting to just now come up uh, that we haven't really addressed as an industry yet. It'll be interesting to see what happens at, with that. Well, you know, and, and, and part of, again, it's, it's not really all that, I would say, you know, sexy or interesting or whatever, but just some of the basics when it comes to security are things like, do you know if your machine is vulnerable to any known exploits. Just something simple, right? And by the way, this applies just as much to servers as it does to clients. Yep, absolutely. And and you know, you have technically sophisticated, you know, cloud service providers and um, that 
that are very, very attuned to uh, the, these sort of threats and, and, and the, the, the underlying question of am I safe or not? But it turns out that the, the, the answer to am I, is my machine safe or not um, is harder to get to the answer because of behavioral challenges that we've uncovered with COVID. And one of those challenges is there are a lot of IT shops out there that are hesitant to update systems. They do oh, not yeah, want to take a system down, whether it's a server or a client. Um, and just the nature of rebooting the machine, maybe something's going to happen in that update process and it's going to take that machine offline. And so they do the unthinkable. They just sort of bury their head in the sand and hope that their machine doesn't get attacked. And, and you know, what we're trying to do, I think, as an industry, certainly Intel on the forefront, is to say, don't do that. Don't, don't make that mistake. You know, and, and it's part of our job working with our uh, partners and, and fellow travelers in the industry to make that update a simpler, higher uh, trust type activity where people have confidence that it really does work. It really will uh, you know, keep your machine safe and, it, and you won't have some of those you know, uh, pitfalls that maybe you know, people experienced 10 years ago or something. Uh, or even five years ago, those things, you know, as an industry, we've we've come huge, huge steps, strides forward in making the update process much more systematic, much more predictable, and um, we're trying to train people that they need to have the mindset that says security doesn't stop when the device is shipped from a manufacturer to a customer. Yeah. Security is something that continues over the life of the device. And that means that the nature of attacks, what is world-class at the time of when the machine first ships is not world-class three years into it or four years or, or even six months. Or even six months. Yeah. And, so, and so companies need to have uh, a systematic, you know, twice a year is what we're advocating, twice a year process to update their machines and keep them, keep them safe. Well, most Tom, attacks that we hear, most attacks are from very, very old uh, exploits that the uh, attackers realize probably weren't mitigated and therefore it's fair game. So they're easy to kind of go and, and attack machines. Go well, ahead, well, Tom, I, yeah, I want to go back to something because you were saying part of the goal here is to make it easier. I mean, everybody would like to do the update. They just get nervous because things might happen that are unexpected and then you've got a problem. So, uh, you know, but your, your group works with companies to sort of pre-validate and test. I, I mean, in environments where we can get a sense of whether there's going to be a problem at fairly large scale. Is that That's right? right. That's exactly yeah. right. Because there, there's the only way to know for sure is to validate at scale. And so hundreds and thousands of machines that we do either within our own labs or with, um, uh, with the OEM partners and they're in, in the labs scattered all over the world, we do um, exhaustive validation to make sure a, that the, the mitigations actually work. So they protect against what they were supposed to, you know, whatever vulnerability was discovered. So does it work? And then B, that it does no harm for the rest of the system in working with applications and, 
the things that it would normally uh, normally do. And and that is that is a, a significant investment that Intel's made. Uh, and you know, in partnering and collaborating with our ecosystem partners, and obviously with Intel at the scale that we're at, this is something that is sort of in our nature, right? We're we're good at at driving standards across the industry and so forth, and we've done it for decades. This is the next sort of evolution of that, doing it at scale across not just Intel but all of our partners. So you know, listening to you guys talk about this, we have the Wednesday reboot at Intel. It drives me absolutely batty, right? Because uh, I have to reboot my machine every Wednesday, Thursday. It's always at the most inconvenient time for me. So how are you going to train the users? Because you can train the IT organizations, hey, this is important to do these patch updates every six months or so. But when push comes to shove, it's the end users a lot of times that are dragging their feet on, hey, my machine works fine. Everything's working fine. So what can you do to help you know, the users? Because a lot of times it requires me to say, yeah, go ahead and reboot. Yeah, that, it's a great question. And um, we're working on exactly the problem that you just said. Uh, and, and, and by the way, IT gets around the uh, defer problem. Oh, by... I know they do because my machine <laughs> reboots in the middle. Of right, exactly. They, they don't, they, they'll give you a defer option until Wednesday at like four yeah. in the afternoon <laughs> yeah, and then sense. you don't get a choice. So, but that user experience is terrible, right? And, oh, yeah. Yeah. and so what we're actually working on is the ability to do these updates, firmware updates in the machine, uh, microcode updates, those kinds of things. Um, and, and to be able to do it without a reboot. Oh, and oh, that's, that's a big and, deal. Right. It's a huge deal. And so unfortunately it's not something that exists today, but these are the type of use cases and usage models that we're driving uh, with our platforms. And um, it's exciting because we're, we're, what we're trying to do is take all of the impediments to doing updates and just one by one, you know, making it easier and remove those impediments. And for example, you know, is your machine susceptible to vulnerabilities? That's that was impediment number one because people didn't even know is my machine safe or not, yeah. right? And so, you know, taking taking that that uh, a barrier out of the way you know, moving forward, we'll have the um, ability to do updates without rebooting. And that's a big deal in servers as well. You know, you've got like cloud service providers, mm -hmm. they do not want to reboot those machines if they don't have to. And, um, and so th this type of technology is not just a client thing by any means. In fact, I would argue it's even more valuable on the server well, side. Well, and I can see it extremely valuable in IoT as well. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't want, um, you know, my security camera rebooting and at, you know, every Wednesday at five o'clock, my security cameras reboot. Someone's going to figure that out. Right. <laughs> and, you know, rob you blind. So yeah, you need, I love, I love the idea. That's the first I've heard of it. So this is great news. I, I think, you know, uh, in the meantime, <laughs> I wouldn't underestimate the importance of good communication when you're asking people to do things. You know, it's one thing when you have an IT department that can enforce something, um, but 
you don't always have that luxury when you're a company trying to get an update out. I think if you can educate people briefly as to why you're asking them to do it, that can go a long way too. Sometimes we forget we have to explain what's the point. Why am I doing this? Why does it benefit me? And then I think often people are reasonable and they want, you know, okay, if we have found a vulnerability and we're requesting an update, otherwise you're open to a potential attack in this area of your device, people say, okay, that sounds reasonable. I'm going to do it now. I, I, and, I totally agree with you. I, you, you know, behaviorally though, it's interesting because all of us have cell phones and, and most they update us, all the time. Most of us have no issue whatsoever in updating the cell phone, right. And, and, you know, to the latest OS or whatever. And some of that's forced by Apple or others, but, but just behaviorally, we don't seem to have as much of an issue with it because it works. It doesn't cause, it, generally, it doesn't cause an issue. And so people are more inclined to just go ahead and do it. And I think that's the challenge for us on the PC and the server side is to have that same kind of an experience where, yeah, you don't mind updating because when you update, it, things still work. You know. And- well, I, I think some of that has to do with our usage models that we should be really looking at as an industry. When we have our laptops, we think that the data on that laptop is always going to be there on that laptop. So much so when I trade in my laptop at work, they take a snapshot of my drives, don't they? And they put that in in my new laptop. Where with the phone, you only grab the data. The data is in the cloud, right? And when I get a new phone, it just downloads it back onto on onto my phone and I'm guaranteed that it's there. It's more dynamic. So I think when we start looking at laptops as I hate to say it, throwaway devices like our phones, even though no one would throw their phone away, but that the data does not reside on that laptop anymore. The data resides in a cloud and can migrate between whatever device I have. Yeah. I think when we get to that point, then maybe it'll be more acceptable by people that are using these laptops. Yeah, I think we're we're already at the point where it's very rare that data only exists on a laptop, right? Yeah, but, but that mentality is still there, places. right? It exists in two places, on the laptop yeah. and in the cloud. And, and also the devices, the laptop devices expected to last longer. And people are generally, they're much more sensitive to laptops because they do real work on a laptop, whereas a phone yeah. or surfing, you know, Facebook or whatever. And, and even if they're using a work application, it's more of like an on the go kind of thing. It's not a deep immersive engagement, whereas your laptop is. So there, there are definitely differences. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I think that the, the, um, the reality is a lot of what we as an industry have to do is a combination of technical solution, but also behavioral changes and yeah. sort of mindset changes when it comes no. to security. Yeah. I, I mean, you're also seeing though this, <clears throat> it's a hybrid in the way that things are evolving. So you're seeing uh, new kinds of learning models like federated learning rushing in to help address things like privacy concerns or considerations where the model itself or, or um, model aggregators are actually the ones traveling to where the data doesn't move. And that may be not a laptop. It might be a laptop. It might be a server. It might be a medical imaging system in a hospital where that data is going to stay put and you're not going to 
move it at all. And now you've got the model coming and looking at it. So you, you, I think you're seeing both. And certainly you're seeing that in some industrial applications as well, where the machines are at the edge and they're not going to send their data back to a different kind of a server. They are the server um, or they're keeping yeah. it local and then they're doing the training and updates there. Yeah, we see a lot of that in uh, the public sector uh, space, right? Uh, most of that has to do with classification of data or just the sheer volume of data. Sure. Right. Yeah, you become it's hard to move limited. a petabyte. That's right. You become bandwidth limited with the data. Yeah. But, but what that means is you want intelligent devices at the edge to do something with the raw data. And once you once you bring it down to just interesting data, maybe that can be sent to. Yeah, that those are the models we actually see quite a bit of. So the big question is, is how do you secure that? Because mm -hmm. it's, it, I mean, a lot of those devices are, are not managed or not, no one's sitting in front of them. I guess they're managed yeah. kind of remotely, but, you know. Well, you know, you, point, you bring up a, a, another interesting sort of trend when it comes to security and, and one that, that didn't start with, with the whole sort of COVID pandemic, but certainly has been accelerated by it. And that is historically the industry as a whole, not just Intel, but I'm talking about all technology for the most part, was maybe with the exception of like military and, and uh, you know, espionage kind of things, was mostly focused on uh, security as a, uh, uh, something that would, could happen over the wire. That would be a, an attack, a network style attack, or maybe it's a malicious application. Maybe it's you got somebody to click on something, that kind of an attack. What we've seen, and Intel's certainly been on the forefront here, is to say that's not good enough. We have to be able to protect against physical attack. Yeah. And so physical attack being maybe those IoT devices that Camille was talking about that are sitting out there with no human attached to them, uh, that nobody's watching them either. And they still have to be able to protect the data that's on them and still uh, um, you know, protect against somehow being tampered with. Um, and, and again, that's a super hard problem to, to challenge or to, to solve, but from, from an Intel standpoint, we made that decision now several years ago, uh, that, that physical attack was absolutely in scope. And so now protecting a machine when, when somebody can now put probes and do all kinds of things in a lab setting, and you still have to be able to protect the data. That that's the bar that we're operating to. Uh, we think it's the right bar, but it is a very very high bar from a security standpoint. No, I yeah I've well obviously I, I do a lot in DoD, so I see that tamper proof, um, you know, uh, mentality and data protection. Um, I, and I, that's another interesting thing I'm finding. People are more concerned now with protecting their data than their applications. And we've seen how that mentality has let people in. Like the solar winds attack is a great example of that. Um, they forgot to test, they forgot to protect their pipeline, their, their build pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, they were protecting their data, but they forgot to protect their process. So uh, they, the, 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 the cyber criminals are getting uh, brave, I, I guess, and smart. Well, I think the other thing is the 
rise geopolitically and, you know, for privacy concerns. So we say data, but let's be specific. I mean, there's IP and there's PIP. There's, there's just personal information that people are concerned with. And I, I think security is almost a narrow scope term these days because you can't, you can't have security, you can't really think holistically about security unless you're also addressing privacy, which by the way, can be in direct conflict with security sometimes. Yep, it can. Yeah. And privacy has, while it, all humans pretty much agree on what it is, if they're giving a quick offhand definition of it, there's no agreed upon regulations or standards worldwide. So your company's got to figure out where you're operating and what the requirements are. And if you're going to hit the highest common denominator, or you're going to, you know, address every geo. Well, and, and those laws are still changing. I, I had a lawyer on, on my show recently that talked about data privacy from the perspective of healthcare. Oh, my goodness. You want to talk about a convoluted mess because uh, data privacy does not mean restricting. It means also opening up data. Um, and that you own your data, that concept that you own your data and you get to choose who gets to see it when. Um, well, that's mind boggling to a lot of IT professionals. They're having a hard time wrapping their head around that one. So interesting stuff. Well, hey guys, this has been wonderful. Um, any, any parting um, notes for my listeners that normally don't deal with client machines or IoT as much? Anything you want to share with them? I, I would just invite them if they're interested to talk more about security specifically and and at the edge. Uh, I'd invite them to listen to our podcast, Cybersecurity Inside. And uh, you know, Camille and I, we've had we've had people from all over the industry, not just technologists. In fact, usually not technologists. We've had you know Olympic athletes. We've had U.S. lawmakers. Um, we've had, you know, industry sort of visionary type folks and, uh, it's, it's every week, it's something totally different. So if you're interested in the space and just want to try to get smarter, um, you know, we'd invite you to come listen. Hey guys, thanks for coming on. This has been great. Um, I, I can't wait to, um, come on your guys' show so we can talk about digital transformation and security. We'll be happy to have you. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.